Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. <laughs> it's not enough for you to win in life. It's not enough for you to win. You have to, you have to be able to beat how the devil's going to beat you. So this series is one of those series that God has put in front of you. You're not here by a mistake. You never hear at church by mistake. I mean, you end up in other places by mistake. You're not in church. You know, this is God's plan for you to be here. It's, he's going to take away the enemy's ability to beat you. It, you <laughs> okay, let me say that again because one person got it. It's not enough to win. God has to take away the enemy's ability to beat you. All right. Now, this is a series about passive aggressiveness. We said, but what is passive aggressiveness? Um, I would, if you're listening to this online, just do me a huge favor and just hit, hit pause and go back and go to part one. Uh, everybody here, go to, got to go back and go to part one because I really lay the foundation where it all starts because you have to go back to the beginning sometimes to change your, your ending. But uh, passive aggressiveness is that internal resistance that every Canadian has a bit a lot of. Uh, see, the internal resistance is like, I'm nice out here, and out here I look a certain way to you, and I very carefully cultivate how you think of me, but inside I'm saying no. Inside, uh, you know, she said I do at the altar, and, and I said I do, but what I meant was, I'll think about it. All right, I feel like I'm preaching to the wrong crowd today. I'll go to the church down the street if you don't want me. I've called this sermon, uh, Whip My Hair. Whip My Absalom, David's son, had a, an amazing head of hair. I whip my hair back and forth. I whip my hair back and forth. I whip my hair back and forth. Hair back and forth. Watch me, watch me. No, is that... I feel like that's wrong. Watch me whip. Watch me nene. I don't know how to do either of those things, but I whip my hair back. Absalom, sometimes your greatest, your greatest uh, asset, your greatest ally turns into your greatest enemy. Absalom had a head of hair that the Bible talks about. One of their very few heads of hair that the Bible talks about, and Absalom had one. Well, wait, wait till we get into it. Internal resistance. Internal resistance. What do you really like on the inside? You're saying yes on the outside, but are you saying yes on the inside? Are you like open? Are you, is your spirit open when somebody corrects you? What do you really like on the inside? I think in, in our country, which I love, and I love its people, but we all pass for grace, but I love us. I think we have this ability. You think about this. I think I have this ability to take things personally, like a lot of things personally. I feel like Airdrie drivers missed uh, the memo about how turning lanes work. Everybody else in Alberta knows that I, I come into to my development that I live in. I come off of Yankee Valley, and it's a busy road. And everybody knows what's to, what to do on a green arrow, right? Like, okay, I'm turning left across traffic. I get a go on a green arrow. But on a solid green... Get your dang car in the intersection, because I'm behind you. You don't have to go until it's free, but get out in the intersection. Man, we can move three cars through right now. You pull up with a hamstring and like, I don't know what to do. It's a solid green, but there's cars, and I'm just going to stop behind the stop line. 
and you follow me around in front of me and mess my day up. You wake up in the morning and you got nothing to do with your time but mess me up. Get your dang car in the intersection and when the light turns red, you got to clear the intersection and then I can go too and I can go home and watch TV and something important. Three minutes of my day. It's personal. I got like trash talking game when I'm driving, y'all. Ooh. I think about it ahead of time so I'm ready. It's personal. It's personal. These people, they, it's personal. It's, I, I came downstairs. I'm like, Aaron, I want to share the, the squirrel story. And she's like, share the squirrel story. I'm like, I come downstairs and Aaron's supposed to be reading her Bible on the couch. And she out at the, at the window in the backyard, banging on the window. You stupid squirrels! You get out of my flower pots! You're banging on the window. I come down the stairs and, and uh, getting a, a let's be patient uh, lecture from me. It's, it's, uh, it's ironic. It's, you know, it's something. The least patient person in the world. But I'm like, baby. Now, she's got this whole thing going on that is, is not, I'm like, baby, the squirrels, they're just squirrels. They're just doing what squirrels do. And, and our neighbor who we love, uh, apparently, I've never seen him, feeds him peanuts. And then they take the peanuts and they go over to my yard. And, and Aaron keeps the yard all like perfect. You've been in my backyard. It's just perfect. Everything's perfect. Except for the flower pots get dug out every morning by squirrels because they're putting the peanuts in there. You squirrels! And I'm just like, one day, you're going to knock that window out, and it's going to be like a murder squirrel suicide, and it's just going to be boom, and everybody's going to be in the backyard. And I'm going to be like reading my, my version Bible app, and just like, it just uh, squirrels, not personal. L- listen, listen. If everything to you feels way too personal, if everything feels personal... It's not. It's you. We all get bugged by little stuff, but I'm telling you, if everything is, is personal to you, we got a problem with passive aggressiveness. If, if, look, it's just potty training. It's just potty training. They're not trying to destroy your mind. They just don't know where to go to the bathroom. And if I'm a kid, I'm like, why would I go in there and go to all that work when I could go right here? <laughs> and somebody else clean up. It's a pretty good deal. Tell you what, you just go to the bathroom wherever, we'll clean up for you. And then one day they get the shock of their lifetime. It's like, no, you got to go over here and you got to work for it now. It's not personal, moms. They're just potty training. It's just confusing. It's not personal. It's just money. It's just your car broke down. It's not personal. There's not a demon in there. It's not personal. Your, your boss wants you to do something. It's not personal. Your kid cracks their iPod screen. It's not personal. They're just kids. It's not everything in life is personal. Not everybody has the time to wake up and schedule their entire day around driving in front of me. In the turning lane. But it feels personal. 
it's not, uh, it's not personal uh, when you hear a, a sermon that uh, confronts something that God wants to confront in you. It's not personal. It's not personal. It's helpful. It's, it's just a thing that we got to talk about so that we can get on to the, you correct your teenager. It's not personal teenagers. Well, my mom hates me. No, she loves you, but you're an idiot because you're a teenager. She loves, venue youth, I'm just, here, here's the thing. Just take one for the team. Just jump on the grenade because I got to talk to your parents who are passive aggressive and they don't think that they are. And so just, just nod and be like, I'm an idiot. It's okay, mom. It's okay. It's okay. Just help me out here. The first thing passive aggressiveness does when it comes into you as a child and then formulates, the first thing it does is it blinds you to the effects of itself. So you, the, the, passive, the great lie of the passive aggressive is I will work on this myself and I will see it myself. No, no, no. The first thing it does is it blinds you to it. That's the first thing that it does. The first symptom is that you will not see what it has done in your life. You look at your back trail. You cannot see things clearly. So passive aggressive in the middle of an argument. I did a litmus test in part one. You need to go back. But if this is in you or your parents, assume that it came to you and we just got to break this thing off and deal with it. Now, you might be far from God, but this affects your life like you wouldn't believe. If you cannot remember conflicts and exactly what was said, or you twist things that were said into what they felt like they were said, and then get mad at the person for what it felt like, I'm not going to preach that again because I feel this. Like, okay. But if everything feels personal, it's not you. Or it is you. <laughs> it's not. It's, I just put a period in there. If everything feels personal, it's not. It's you. It's you. What starts um, in your life as a legitimate wound, I think, normally in childhood, and we talked about this a little bit in part one, uh, what you do is, is a, a, a person normally with a, a gift for people. You pick an, you, you, normally with a people gift and a soft person, that's how a lot of us begin, particularly Canadians, and we, we get a, a wound from, from a teacher at school, from a parent, from a sibling, from a cousin, from somebody. We, we pick up a wound when we're young, and, and what happens is we... we the safest place to put that wound, if you have an internal sort of process, the, the safest way to deal with it is to put it in a room and to, to lock the door, and you're the only one that goes in and out of that, that room. But what eventually happens is that you become your own doctor, but you have the disease you're trying to treat. And the first thing it did was make you blind to it. So here's a blind doctor doing surgery on yourself, which is super scary. It works for a while, actually. It works for a few years. And then what happens is the wound, actually, what, what happens is you start, uh, you commit a sin, and you put the sin in the same room as the wound is in, and you just deal with it all by you, all by yourself. But the funny thing is the Bible says, confess your sins to God and, and be forgiven, and we do that part. But then it says, confess them to each other so that you can be healed. So, I guess on the flip side, if you don't confess your sins to a person, you can't be healed of them. And this gets added to the other wound that was legitimate, and now something that's illegitimate gets added to this wound, and it starts creating a disease. But because in our society, we are so frightfully good at putting on an appearance out here, and I'm going to talk about Absalom, David's son today, that nobody knows what's going on in here. And it starts getting poison, and it starts getting... Uh, scary, and you do it to survive at the beginning. 
But then what happens as we move to survive, like, like a child who is hurt or, or beaten, to, they, they will tell a lie to protect themselves. You, you follow me? If that wasn't your story, it's the story of somebody sitting beside you. They, they tell a lie, you create a, something horrible happens, you have no place to put it, and so you, you start protecting yourself. And what you do is you start, uh, you ready, selectively storytelling. It starts in survival, and it starts legitimately enough, but the moment that it starts, because you have an internal process, and you decided a long time ago that you were only safe with you, but you've got a disease that makes you horribly unsafe. So getting this thing out of you, you have to understand, i got to get the Hulk out a little bit. But you got to get that thing out because underneath all of this is a layer of anger about the first wound and God wants to heal the first wound today. And then what happens is because of the survival uh, thing, when you, when you see um, like uh, children in war-torn countries, you can see in their eyes that something has, has stunted them. Something has stopped when the atrocity happens. Something, But something emotionally does the same thing to you. And you actually psychologically and emotionally stop when that wound happens. And so you look like an adult and you can kind of act like an adult, but you're not an adult inside, you're still this kid. And that's how you emotionally deal with things. And I'm convinced that if you let God take away the survival technique of selective storytelling, that he will start um, actually maturing you very quickly. So that you can act like, so in the middle of the storm, you're calm on the inside. In the middle of the storm, you let Jesus take over on the inside and you go out and you fight when everybody else around you is falling to pieces. You go out and fight for somebody's marriage and you go out and fight for that lost child and you go and do something incredible in business because of the spirit of God inside of you, but you start selectively storytelling and, and then what happens, ladies and gentlemen? is uh, because you have a people gift. And when you walk into a room, there's an anointing on your life that starts getting used for you, though. So people start watching you and how you feel. And, and you're so smart, and you figured out how to fool people that you fool a lot of people, especially the healthy ones, because they didn't think that lying was part of the game. And so you start fooling them. And because you can, and because in our society we don't call it, you start thinking that you're smarter than they are. And then God says, you blew it last night. Confess your sin. And you're like, I'd rather not. And this is eventually what happens is you make a deal with something else that's not God. You go home, but you don't tell your wife, and then you just tell yourself something like, you know, I'll just be super good to her, but I'm not going to tell her. I'm going to be good to my mom, teenagers, but I'm not going to tell her. I'm going to tell her a bit, but I'm not going to tell her it. And we start selectively storytelling, and here's what happens is eventually conflict, instead of growing you, conflict is threatening you, and you will survive in a conflict, but it's not survival anymore. It's just winning. And rather than uh, growing in the conflict, you're trying to survive it. And you will survive it any way you can. Which means throw the rule book out. Which means, no, 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 you want them to act a certain way, but not you, because it's a matter of survival. I'm getting heavy? 
When you make a deal with something that is not a spirit of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And we come in our Canadian you know, society that's very plural and not singular. And, and uh, Jesus is like, yeah, but there's only one way, and it's me. And we're like, yeah, Jesus and a bit of Buddha, and Jesus and a bit of, and Jesus and a bit of me. And a lot of me, Frank and Jesus. And Jesus and, and Jesus and. And Jesus is like, no, 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 the truth. See, the truth stands apart from you. The truth, you might live in it or you might live out of it, but if you twist it in any way, if you take 1% out of it, it is no longer the truth. It is no longer light. It is dark. It is the devil can preach scripture, right? but the spirit that he speaks it in is not a spirit of truth. And so what we do is there's still some truth in what we believe in some. And then what happens is because we made a deal with, with, with I mean, the, there's this perfect unity in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's supposed to be this unity in the body of Christ. Unity meaning alignment to the will of the Father. But now we start making a deal with this other thing that's not the Father or not the Spirit of truth. Because if it's not the Spirit of truth, it's a different spirit. And then um, our lives start dividing at this point back here. And then all of a sudden there's two of us. And your kid wakes up in the morning and doesn't know which one you are. So they walk around you on eggshells. And your mom walks around you on eggshells until they figure out which one they're talking to. Uh, The one they signed up for or the one who is a bit crazy? Preach that, Corey. Oh, my goodness. Preach that, Corey. Woo. You did it. You did it. We're getting free. I whip my hair back and forth. I whip my hair. And what happens is, what happens is, the, the thing that started as a, you started as a victim of something, eventually what happens is you start making victims of the people around you because you're just trying to survive, but it's not about survival, is it? No, it hasn't been about survival for a long time. And, and then what happens is God brings a bearer of truth to you. This sermon might be that thing for you. Brings a bearer of truth, but now the truth hurts. The truth that we were supposed to find shelter and forgiveness and love and acceptance. In, but now the truth hurts because we're not living in the truth anymore. And now the bearer of truth makes you feel, you ready? Like the first person made you feel. And you start seeing yourself as the victim of God. Have you ever said, if God is so good, then why has all this bad stuff happened to me? Why is he behind all of the bad stuff that has happened to me? Your prayers stop going, start getting unanswered because you're not actually praying to this pure form of truth anymore. You are praying to this weird mix that makes a deal with. But God, your heavenly father doesn't make a deal. He doesn't need to. He is truth. And if he fragments himself in any way, then he can't save you. If he fragments the cross and the sacrifice and what the, the, the wages of sin is death. If he fragments the message in any way, it makes the cross of Christ of no effect. But the cross of Christ is everything because it saved you when you didn't deserve it. And this person thinks that they start to deserve it a little bit because they're working so hard. And the rest of us are like, oh, God, no. It was so bad. People are like, are you Christians, man, they're just, they're weak. They're using religion as a crutch. I'm like, a crutch? 
We were dead, shot in the head, in the ground. Our sins had separated us from God. It was much worse than you think. <laughs> Why do you get so upset? Why is it so personal when somebody talks bad about you? You are far worse than they could ever say about you. And we start getting afraid of the bearer of truth when the bearer of truth should bring light and bring light to the darkness. But here's what I know, that God will never reveal what he won't heal. And I said, God will never uh, reveal what he won't heal. David's son Absalom, something happens to his sister and his half-brother does something to her and Absalom is hurt. And King David, as good a man and a man after God's own heart as he was, he doesn't deal with this thing, at least in the way that Ab- Absalom wanted him to. And, and one day Absalom, he... he he, he, he internalizes the process of pain and says to his sister Tamar, don't talk to anybody about this, just let me deal with it. But it starts a system of process that nobody else is allowed in your process to help you deal with it. They're just letting you deal with it. And so what happens is he, 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 some time passes and then Absalom says, you know, I want to have a barbecue. And he, and he calls King David up. They didn't have phones. Nobody's getting this part here. It's okay if you don't know, if you don't know. And he calls his dad up and says, Dad, you want to come to my barbecue with me? And and I want to get my brothers out to the barbecue. I hope you have some barbecues in the summer and invite me over. If anybody got a smoker, I'm just saying, I'm coming. Don't let community go by the wayside. You know what I, I hate seeing is that the summertime is this like detox time because you were way too crazy busy in the rest of the year. And then you, you detox and disconnect yourself from everything, including church and Jesus. And then September comes around, you need to hit a reset, because now you're fighting like cats and dogs. Am I preaching? Yeah. All right. Why don't you use the time in the summer to reconnect with God and reconnect with the people of God and to spend your time doing that? Just be intentional about it. Put that on your schedule. So that when the fall comes around, let me just help you out here. Don't schedule everything again. I whip my hair back and forth. Watch me. So Absalom invites King David and his brothers over to a barbecue, but, but King David says no. He's like, I would be too much of a burden to you, and I just feel like I need to say this to somebody. Sometimes, dads, you just need to go. But David doesn't show up, and then what happens at the barbecue is that because David and his mighty man weren't there, I think that, 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 that dads, even if you're messed up, just be there. Just be there at the dinner table. Just be there. Just go to the game. Just be there. Just, I mean, the best thing you can do is be at church. Be there. Put money in the offering and talk to your kids. I mean, just, you know what I mean? Be present. It will diffuse so much in their lives. Pick up your kid from the party. I'm just going to show up inside and just be like, hey, what's up? That's my daughter right there. Oh, this, this whole thing is just a gun that I had in my pocket. It's just cleaning my... Sometimes if you're there... It just settles them, and, but he wasn't there, and what he did was Absalom ambushed Amnon, his, his uh, half-brother, who was the crown prince of Israel, ambushed him and killed him and murdered him. And then what he had to do is he had to flee to his grandfather on his mother's side. He had to flee and stay with him for some years, and then he came back to Jerusalem, but all of this time he had led nobody else in that process so that God could begin the healing. And, and then what, happens, um, what happened to him uh, was something very interesting. It says, you're going to think that I'm talking about a different story, but it's this one. 2 Samuel 14 says, 
Now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. Watch me whip. He was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. Why would the Bible have this in here? Who cares? If you're a guy, you don't care. You don't want to hear that about a guy. Like, what? Jerk. Got the body of a Greek god? Yeah, what's that to me? I don't know. Likes doing ab workouts? I mean, what's an ab workout? He was flawless from head to the scriptures, the author is, and the Holy Spirit through the author is telling you, he's telling, there's something incredibly attractive sometimes, a people gift that God seated in there that the devil tried to wound, but that person still has this, a bit of this gift of God, and they're so attractive. When, when you walk into a room, your eyes find this person, and you, you, they might not be the loudest, and they might not be just out there, but you're just wondering how they're doing and how they're feeling, and there's something about them that pulls the eyes and the hearts of people to them. People gifted people, people oriented people. There's just something attractive about them, something that you just want to be on their team, you just want to be on their side, you just want to make sure that they're having a good day. And then it says this. Uh, here's something that I would say about that, though, that popularity... I can't mask character forever. It says he, he, and here's the hair scripture, he cut his hair only once a year. Yeah, I wish. And then only because it was so heavy, when he weighed it out, it came to five pounds. I think what we're doing in Sunday school, are we doing that weight thing? I'm just like, oh, next week they're going to do that. I'm like, just put five pound weights and just have them like wear a wig or do something where it's like Whoa. five pounds. Why does it tell me how much this guy's hair weigh? I don't care. What it's doing is it's saying that there's, there's a weight about their image. They, their words weigh something. There's something about that you, you have this gift from God, but it's been wounded. And, but there's still this weight about you in public. There's still this thing that... This weightiness of his hair. Now, um, what you don't know and what I'm going to preach next week, so come on back next week, but sometimes uh, your greatest ally can be your greatest enemy because what he, he didn't do, he was so proud of his hair. <laughs> My hair. He was so uh, proud of his hair, but then he creates a civil war. 20,000 men in Israel die in one day. And he didn't uh, shave his image before the battle. He's still trying to look like something in the battle. Somebody's a family. You need to battle for your family, but you're still worried about what people think about you. Some, somebody didn't want to go to church, and somebody's watching online, and you're a closet watcher. And you're afraid you don't want to, you want to come to church, but you got to shave the image before the battle. Fathers, that we want to look all well-respected, and I couldn't really get on my knees, and I couldn't really worship with abandon, and I'm not going to cry, and you got to shave your hair before the battle. Because what happens to Absalom is his mule rides under a tree, and his glorious mane of hair gets caught in the tree, and he gets uh, shot to death. It's a murder-suicide. Well, passive-aggressiveness is a murder-suicide in the end. He tries to murder... Okay, that's next week. Kind of heavy, but somebody, I know all the boys in the room are like, this stuff is in the Bible. 
this is amazing. Yeah, read your Bibles, man. It's amazing. And it says this. After this, 2 Samuel 15, Absalom bought a chariot and horses. Why did he buy it? His, his father, King David, he got lots of this. And he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. What? He got an entourage. I don't know what he needed an entourage for, because who, who's trying to hurt him? Bodyguards. I wish I had bodyguards. He got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. So get this. The king is in the palace where the governance of the, the, the nation is happening, and Absalom's at the city gate, and he gets up really early. What's he doing? Well, he's using his gift. Uh, you're using your gift. You're very diligent about using your gift. And then Absalom would say, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. Hmm. The king doesn't have anyone to hear it. The king has people to hear it. They're just in the palace. He meets you at the city gate. And he's the son of a king, so... You want to listen. He's got this people anointing, so you want to listen. But it's like, yeah, but there's nobody. He's got nobody who wants to listen. Passive aggressiveness. Nobody, I'll listen. You tell me your story. I'll listen. See, the thing is, if you want to approach the king, you've got to approach the king in a certain way. You, you want to approach God, your heavenly father, the king of heaven. You can't just approach him any old way. He's not your homeboy. He is the God of all. You got to approach dad a certain way. But he's over here. This is where he deals with that. And sometimes we're like, I want to deal with it here. My church are the mountains. And Jesus is like, my church is the church. And the mountains are my footstool. And they're not my mountain. There's no people over there. People here. It's the body of Christ. It's, right? Oh, that's good preaching. I was just at the mountains. I like the mountains. They're not terrible. I don't want to climb them. I love Jesus when I'm there, but I love this better. You got to shave your head when you go into battle, man. You got to. And then he says this. I wish I were the judge. I wish I were the judge and not him. I was wounded and he did nothing. And I wish I were the judge because I'm the judge inside here. I'm judging everything inside here. And then he says this, then everyone can bring their case to me for judgment and I would give them justice. Wait, what? Because he's been fooling people for so long, he thinks he's smarter than everybody. Do you actually think that he could give everybody justice? Can he give his sister justice? What is he talking about? He gave Amnon justice. But maybe David wanted to forgive Amnon. Maybe David wanted to make a way that there could be, maybe mercy in the end triumphs over judgment. The Bible says you should, you should live justly, but you should love mercy. But Absalom loves justice. 
And it's his justice, though. It's not God's justice. It's his justice. You want justice? I don't want justice for my sins. For, for every sin, a life is required. No, 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 no. No justice. No Pharisees. I don't want what's fair. But Jesus took the wrath of God for the sin of you on his shoulders on the cross and bore your sins to the cross and nailed them there. Unjust, unfair, and yet mercy triumphed over just. And the judgment of God, the righteous wrath and justice of God was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. I don't want justice. No, 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 I just want Jesus. I don't need justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment, and so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. He stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. That phrase was kind of bouncing around my head yesterday. He stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. He stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. He stole their hearts. He led them into a trap, and 20,000 of them died in one day. He stole the hearts of all his children. Stole the hearts. Stole the hearts of all the children of Israel. Stole the hearts. He, he sat in the city gate. Because yeah, this is what passive aggressiveness will do. He sat in the city gate and he started protecting the people from the king. He felt that he needed protection from the king's lack of justice when maybe it was mercy to Amnon. He, he felt like he needed to keep the people away from the king. He felt like he needed to keep the people away from his father, but his job was to bring them to the king. My job, if I'm passive aggressive, I will eventually see my job to keep my daughters away from the king of heaven because he speaks truth and I'll teach them to hide. And, and he's like, if your sins can be revealed, I could forgive them. And, and if they would be confessed, I could heal them and I could rid you of all these wounds. But, but we're like, you don't understand my wounding. But what you don't understand is that Jesus was in Isaiah, wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of the peace between God sat on him, and by his stripes we were healed. He was wounded, and he never, ever, he moved people towards his father. He moved people to the king. But he wasn't sick on the inside like some of us are. And I, I thought to myself, you know, I take my daughters to, to their grandfather, who killed it on Father's Day, preaching here. I take them to my father for a blessing. I don't protect them from. But because this thing normally starts with a relationship with your dad that wasn't good or was non-existent, often it starts there. But I have a great relationship to my dad, and I taught my kids to come too for his blessing. They get something from him that they won't get from me. And, and he and I take them to God, our Heavenly Father, and they get the blessing of God. But what happens is we start hiding and protecting ourselves from, and then we miss the blessing of God. Are you tired of being wounded forever? Are you tired of every new wound just opening up the old wounds? And it's time to come and be free. But there's this thing that you're going to have to do. 
Jesus is speaking about how to approach. He said, ask and you will receive. Why should I have to? And then it says, your father in heaven already knows all that you need. And then we say, because we're wounded, then why do I have to ask? It's humiliating. Why do I have to ask for my daily bread? It's humiliating. Why? Do you know what it's called when a son or daughter of the house gets everything that they want and need without asking? They're spoiled rotten. And God, your heavenly father, doesn't raise spoiled rotten kids. Jesus says, ask anyways. He already knows, but ask anyways. It doesn't humiliate you. It doesn't have to. Let's get rid of that wound so that's, you stop feeling that way. No, no. It humbles you. It humbles my kids, when they ask mom for supper, it humbles them. They forget, they forget, you don't buy this, but you get to eat this. They ask, they ask, mom, what are we having for supper tonight? They don't feel humiliated because they don't have a father wound. This is normal, like, mom, what are we having for? Mom, what are we? Dad, where are we going for? And there's this thing that God wants to do inside of you today, but you actually do have to ask for it. So Heavenly Father, today we, we ask. We ask, Father, would you heal the broken places? We have to ask people for it, too. Would would you? I'm tired of making everybody guess what I want all the time and guess what I need. I just have to ask sometimes. You know, Aaron, would you spend a bit of time with me? Kids, would you? Father, I, I talked to my daughter Arwen this week, and I'm like, what do you need from me? And then she asked me for something, and I'm like, I can do that. I can do that. I... Father, there's something in the asking that brings humility, and in the humility, it starts to open the wound up and open the doors up to the wounding that happens so that you can heal it, so that we can be sons and daughters of God and stand in the light. And Father, this morning, we're asking. I'm asking, and we're asking. Would you heal the wound and open it up and open our lives up to community, to connection with God and people? Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.